Sin Yi's story. Content warning, suicide. I found recovery dharma during the lowest and most transformative time of my life. The popsicle sticks and glue that I used to contain my overwhelm and despair came crashing down around me. I'd later learned to refer to these popsicle sticks as substance use and process addictions, and that my overwhelm was rooted in untreated depression and trauma. Looking back on my recovery journey, I am grateful for the experience, learning, and healing, but it was hard-earned. My story starts in kindergarten, when I immigrated with my parents. Overnight, my world changed. A foreign place with a new language, knowing almost no one, a new school where I couldn't understand anybody, and my parents working all the time to survive. They did their best, but an asleep parent isn't a present parent, and I had to learn independence from a young age. I grew up seeing my parents model working hard, sacrificing their needs, acting strong, and never talking about feelings. I learned that my role in the family was to study hard, to not be a burden with my needs, push down my feelings, and that I needed to be happy so that their sacrifices were worth it. By high school, I'd been pushing down fears and insecurities for years. I was doing well in school, and that came with some self-worth and external validation. But I also felt so alone. The closer friendships I developed were always cut short by one of us moving away. So I entered high school with no real friends, but luckily got adopted by an extrovert who I shared a geography class with. Finding some friends slowly built some confidence, but even in that circle, I felt like I was on the periphery, overthinking and worrying that I wasn't good enough, attractive enough, cool enough to have friends. But I got by, pushing down those insecurities. Later in high school, I found myself with people who had access to weed, and when I smoked, the incessant chatter in my mind cleared. I could be in on the secret and didn't have to worry about being uncool for once because everything was just hilarious instead. But when I was living my usual sober life as a straight-laced nerd, I was fraught with social anxiety and low self-esteem. The next times of my life were fueled by fear and external validation. I started to gain the external markers of success. I graduated top of my class, attracted romantic partners, got a coveted job, moved into a condo in the city. On the outside, things were great, but inside I was frightened constantly that the perfect facade would crack and everyone would see me as a fraud. I fell into coping mechanisms, working constantly and seeking perfection, because if I was perfect, then the fear of not being good enough felt a little less intense. On evenings to treat myself for the shitty life I put up with, I'd smoke weed from the moment I walked through the door until I eventually passed out in a smoke-filled oblivion and every weekend was wake and bake. I was living only for the weekends, going to raves and festivals, taking party drugs and chasing the serotonin highs and feelings of connectedness that made me feel something other than the depression and anxiety that plagued my work days. I started going to work high and my roommates and close friends started to tell me that they were worried about me. Honestly, I was worried about me too. During a particularly stressful time at work, I went on vacation and came home wondering why I was staying in a job I hated. I'm fortunate that I had saved up some money, and so I quit without a job lined up and decided I was going to travel. Surely my location was the problem, and if I traveled to beautiful destinations, then I would be happy. I was leaving on a trip to try to outrun my anxiety and depression, and maybe find some key to happiness, because other solutions to stress, like mindfulness, 
hadn't worked for me. I now understand that with the unresolved trauma, my mind was a place that lacked self-compassion and my body felt unsafe when I sat still. It felt like such serendipity when I was struck by the idea that some people turn to religion in times of uncertainty and fear, so my desperation turned me to giving my parents' Buddhist religion a try. Up to this point, I had been an adamant atheist, though I always obeyed when my parents wanted me to go with them to the nearby Buddhist temple. I didn't understand why we lit incense, bowed three times in front of statues of deities I didn't recognize, and prayed with offerings for good things or for bad things not to happen. It all just seemed like illogical superstition to me. Now that I opened my mind to the idea of Buddhism, I learned about the Theravada and Mahayana traditions in Southeast Asia, and they spoke to me so much more than my parents' practices. I searched online for a beginner intro to Buddhism and found Jetsunma Tenzin Palmo's book, Into the Heart of Life, and serendipitously again, her preface felt like it spoke directly to me as I was preparing for my trip. I highlighted a passage about how the mind is always with us, with its thoughts and fears from which we can never escape. And so it makes sense to try and work with our mind so that it becomes a friendly travel companion for our journey through life. I dove into the book and became aware of the truth of impermanence and the truth of suffering. It resonated with me so deeply that the Buddha never demanded people to blindly follow his teachings but instead encouraged them to observe for themselves and see that what he taught was true. And while impermanence and suffering made sense, I couldn't wrap my head around non-attachment or no self, so I was determined to learn about it on my trip. That's how I ended up volunteering in Thailand, though I can't say I learned too much about these Buddhist concepts in Thailand because of the language barrier. However, I did meet some incredibly kind monks and laypeople. It was true, though, that no matter how far I went, my mind was always with me. It was telling me that I'm not good enough, that I'm weak since I burned out, and that I'm a broken, depressed person who will never be happy if I couldn't even be perfectly happy while seeing these beautiful sights. I'm really glad to say that I have a much healthier relationship with my thoughts and emotions today, with the help of lots of therapy, my recovery and recovery dharma, and my growing meditation practice. I eventually grew homesick and came home. I found a corporate job and started living with my now spouse. We abused weed together every day, and as my job got more stressful, my weed use increased. When the COVID-19 pandemic hit, I was a shell of a person, reclused into myself by overwhelm at work, and even more overwhelmed by basic things like going to the grocery store. I would later come to realize that the drastic shift in the world overnight as well as the panic about the unknown, was emotionally triggering my trauma around immigrating at such a young age. I think I experienced emotional flashbacks of my terror and reverted to my kindergarten psychological capacity. Except this time, I had weed to abuse to try to quell the overwhelming panic. And it worked for a while, until it didn't anymore. I started down into the worst episode of depression I ever experienced. I lost interest in friends, hobbies, and my partner, and I shut down. It was really scary when I lost the ability to concentrate and my work performance declined, especially scary as someone whose self-worth came from work. As my overwhelm and terror grew, I turned to weed during the workday too, and I hated myself for it. I entered a cycle of panic, using, feeling a few minutes of relief, and then hating myself for being weak for giving in to the craving. The height of my addiction, or my metaphorical bottom, came when I lost the will to live. 
My attempt on my life luckily ended with me in the emergency room. I was admitted to inpatient treatment and detoxed from marijuana while attending group therapy and learned the powerful feeling of connection when someone says, me too. I had started therapy about a year before, but because I was high all the time, I wasn't mindful of my thoughts and feelings outside of therapy sessions, so progress was slow. I left inpatient treatment with a waiting list spot for an outpatient program, a recommendation that I give up marijuana and attend psychologist follow-up sessions. I remember being told that depression was a three-pronged combination of bio, psycho, social, and that I would need to address bio with medication, psycho with therapy, and social by building up a mental well-being support system. For social support, I found my way to the rooms of Marijuana Anonymous, where I heard other people telling stories that were similar to mine, and it really helped me to stay off the weed. But the singleness of purpose tradition in 12-step felt stifling because my problem wasn't only marijuana use, it was also the trauma I was unearthing in the psycho prong. Again, I come back to serendipity. The Recovery Dharma program was exactly what I needed at the time. I received a suggestion to attend a second recovery meeting on a day that I had already been to an MA meeting, and curious, I went searching for alternatives. Through the Buddhist Recovery Network website, I found Recovery Dharma. When I visited the website, I was delighted to find that the Recovery Dharma book was readily available for free on the website, that it was accessible to me in my time of need. I devoured the book quickly. It helped me to frame my addiction in the teachings of the Buddha that I had already developed an interest in. Now revisiting the Dharma with my new lived experience of addiction, the truth of suffering took on new meaning. I found a Sangha that met almost daily. And almost every day, I came and sat in meditation with like-minded travelers on the path. We could talk about anything without the restrictions of singleness of purpose. It was exactly what I needed because it helped me learn to meditate with the safety of a group, and I learned the language of talking about my trauma from reading the trauma-informed RD book, listening to shares, and practicing during my own shares. Today I feel like I'm thriving, not merely surviving. I've been sober from my drug of no choice for almost three years, and I've made great progress managing my process addictions of workaholism and perfectionism. I'm practicing real self-love, gratitude, meditation, and validating my own feelings. My family, friends, and work are all going better than ever before. I can be present for my loved ones. I am able to take care of my darling cat and accept her love. I'm able to give back by hosting meetings in service of my sangha. I'm also blessed to be able to volunteer my professional skills as an RD Global Board member and serve on board committees. I have cultivated an understanding of myself, my trauma, triggers and coping mechanisms, so that I can weather the emotional storms when they come and give myself loving kindness. There is hope and joy in my life, as well as strength and security in knowing that although I can't carpet the whole world, I can put on shoes as I continue my travels, with my healthier mind and spirit as my companion.